Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. Today we are in week three of our sermon series called After God's Own Heart. And as you guys know, what we're doing in this series is walking through the incredible, magnificent, and even scandalous life of the great King David. To not only see what this man of God has to teach us about how to live our lives, but also to examine how this imperfect man has a whole lot to teach us about how not to live. So in week one, we opened up this story with the great prophet Samuel traveling to this little village of Bethlehem to choose and then anoint this young, inexperienced shepherd boy, David, to be the next king of Israel. And remember, what makes that so remarkable is he was probably 10 to 15 years old when this happened. And even more than that, his dad didn't even consider him to, to come to this feast because he just wasn't even on the radar. But yet, God chooses him to be the next king of Israel. Then last week, as we started to get into how David's life played out in the 15 to 20 years after he was anointed and before he became the king, we jumped into the amazing story of David and Goliath. One of my favorite stories, and I know for many of you, you love it as well. And as you all know, what happens in this story is that against all odds, this ruddy little shepherd boy defeats the giant. This 10 to 15-year-old kid walks down into the valley and takes on this giant and actually takes him out. Not only saving his people from a life of slavery, but also leading the army of Israel in a huge victory over one of their most hated enemies. And it was absolutely spectacular. Remember the crowd went wild. We all got excited last week. It was just fantastic because we all love a good underdog story. And there's no better underdog story than David and Goliath. Now, what you would expect to happen next, given that David has just led the Israelites in victory over their enemies, is that Saul, King Saul, would in turn embrace David. Because David not only just made Saul look really, really good, but he also probably just saved his life. And maybe, just maybe, that's what Saul felt for a brief moment. And then this happens and changes David and Saul's relationship forever. It says this, 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 7. As they were coming home, when David returned from killing the Philistine, the women came out of all the towns of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And these women sang to one another as they made merry. Saul has killed his thousands and David his Ten thousands. Now, I would sing that to you, but I don't think it would sound real good. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. <laughs> so basically what's going on here is Saul is leading his army back home after this epic victory. Everybody in the country is blown away that this happened. And it's like this real life musical breaks out right in front of them. The ladies from the town just come out and they just start dancing and singing and break into this song and all that kind of stuff, which is amazing. Anytime you can have an actual, you know, uh, musical breakout in front of you is, is amazing. Except for the fact that these women say the wrong thing. 
these women praise King David, or excuse me, they praise David over King Saul, which is, and he's this insecure guy, so that doesn't go well. It says, Saul was very angry, for his saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? Notice that, that really quick. I mean, he, just, he goes from loving David to paranoia just like that. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day on. For the reason why Saul gets so upset, he just can't handle this, this idea that David is more popular than him, even though it's a fleeting thing. You know, celebrate this kid. He, he saved your eye. Just celebrating and move on. No, what he begins to see is that David is now a threat to his throne. Or David is now not someone who can help him protect and care for his people, which is all David really wants to do. No, he sees him as his number one enemy. So from hero to enemy, based on a song. So much so that the first time that Saul tries to kill David actually happens the day after they get back from the battle. The day after, right? He is the hero. Then the next day, this happens. The next day, an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand and Saul threw the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. I will pin David to the wall, but David eluded him twice. That's right. That happened. The day after they get back, Saul just starts going crazy. And in his craziness, he picks up a spear and tries to pin David, the guy who saved his keister a couple of days ago, to the wall. And notice he doesn't just do it once. It wasn't an accident. He does it twice. And David eludes him. And then what Saul does after this unsuccessful attempt is eventually he sends David away to be one of the leaders of his army, which at first sounds absolutely amazing. It sounds like a promotion. But what we find a little later on, if you keep reading into the details, is that the reason Saul sent him out there is not because he likes him or trusts him, but he hopes that he's going to die on the front line of battle. Which is then a problem made even worse as Saul finds out about how his eldest son and heir to the throne, Jonathan, and his daughter, Micah, who is David's wife, have actually been helping David behind King Saul's back the whole time. And what happens because of all of that is that David, in a... In, in, like a, a hundred of his closest friends end up spending a whole lot of time, years, running from King Saul. Because at this point, Saul's so consumed with ridding the world of David, he is going to do whatever he needs to do for however long it takes to take him out. I mean, this guy's just possessed. He is going to take care of business here. Or to really get a sense of just how consumed Saul is with ridding the world of David, it just so happens that because one of the priests at Nob, Ahimelech, fed David and his men and then gave David the sword of Goliath, not only does Saul kill Ahimelech and his entire family for what he believes to be treason, which is horrible enough, but then goes on to kill every single priest at Nob, 85 in total, along with the entire 
village. It's a genocide. 1 Samuel 22, 18 through 19 says, Then the king said to Doeg, You, Doeg, turn and attack the priest. Doeg the Edomite turned and attacked the priest. On that day, he killed 85 who wore the linen ephod. Nob, the city of priests, he put to the sword men, women, children, infants, donkeys, oxen, and sheep. He put to the sword. He basically went in there because of his obsession with killing King David and wiped this entire community out. But it didn't stop there. Day after day, month after month, and even year after year, Saul basically devotes his entire life to chasing after David because his soul won't rest until David is finally dead. And then this happens. While Saul returned from following the Philistine, he was told, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to look for David and his men in the direction of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfold beside the road where there was a cave. And here's the important verse. Saul went to relieve himself. <laughs> Didn't see that coming, did you? Saul went to relieve. Do you guys need me to explain what's going on there? Okay. So I'm going to explain it to you because it's funny. So we're going to get into it. What you need to know about this particular pit stop is that it's likely the case that Saul needed to go number two, not number one. And the reason we can assume this is because if all he needed to do was go number one, then he could have just done that on the side of the road. But apparently, this is a pretty... uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been to that place. There's an emergency going on. So you got to stop and take care of it right then and there. Saul went in to relieve himself. And the reason Saul went into the cave to take care of his business, instead of just pooping alongside of the road, which is what all of the soldiers would have done, is because according to an honor and shame society, it was not proper for a king to expose himself. So to take care of his business, Saul would have gone into the cave and pulled his tunic up above his waist. Think of a long skirt. Squatted down, beat a little more than shoulder width apart, make sure he didn't get anything on him, then took care of his business. And then after he took care of his business, he wiped with what? You guys know what I'm talking about here. He wiped with his left hand because that's what you did in the ancient world. And after he was done, He got up and just walked out of the cave like he's probably done a hundred times before. And I know that's disgusting and funny at the same time. Let's be honest. We're all 12 on the inside a little bit. Um, But it's just the way it worked. That's the way it worked. But what makes this particular pit stop different than all the other potty breaks? By the way, I never dreamed in a million years that I would be telling you about ancient uh, bathroom etiquette. But it just so happened to work this time, so we're going to go with it. Now, what makes this particular pit stop different than all the other potty breaks is this. Now, David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. (laughs) David and the men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Or as luck would have it, the very cave that Saul chooses to use to relieve himself in, David and his men are hiding in there. 
which in turn made for this great opportunity for David to finally take Saul out and in turn become the king himself. It's like God put him right in front of him. He can take him out. Or as David's men explain, and remember this is a whisper, so it makes it even funnier because they got to say this in the cave. Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, I will give your enemies into your hands and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Can you guys even hear that? Does that even work? So just next time we do it, you guys just imagine me whispering. So there's a whisper going on there. Or basically what they're saying, hey, Saul, or excuse me, hey, David, this is your chance. God has put David into your hands. Take him out and let's be done with this. Let's be done with this. Let's you become the king. God has already called you to be the king. Why don't you become the king right now? It's over. But surprisingly, David decides not to kill Saul in that moment, but instead, does this. And <laughs> okay. Then David went and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. <laughs> or in the darkness of this cave, David sneaks up on Saul while he is doing his business, mind you, and cuts a corner off his tunic. And I don't care who you are, that's funny. So if you don't ever laugh at scripture, if you take it too seriously, then you're missing a lot of it because there's a lot of funny stuff that goes on and it's meant to be funny. It's meant to be laughed at. But even stranger than that, as you move on in the story, what we find is that after David cuts this part of his tunic off is that he starts to feel bad about it. So bad, in fact, that he tells his men, hey, we're not going to kill King Saul today. We're not, we're not going to take advantage of this opportunity. He says, Afterward, David was stricken to the heart because he had cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. He said to his men, and remember, imagine me whispering here, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to raise my hand against him, for he is the Lord's anointed. So David scolded his men severely and did not permit them to attack Saul. And what's interesting about this is if you ever gotten a scolding while someone was trying to whisper at you, that's what's going on. My mom used to do that to us in the store so she wouldn't make a scene. So it brings back uh, good, funny, kind of horrible memories all at the same time. Then Saul got up, left the cave, and went on his way. Clueless of what just happened. But not long after Saul left the cave, and he and his army kind of started their way back down the road. And, and mind you, remember what they're doing is they're looking for David this whole time anyway. David did this to prove to the king that he's not out to take his throne. Afterwards, David also rose up and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and did obeisance. David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of those who say David seeks to do you harm? This very day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. And some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not raise my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see, the corner of your cloak is in my hand. For by the fact that I cut it off, cut off the corner of your cloak and did not kill you. You may know for certain that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, even though you were hunting to take 
my life. Come on now. Or what David does in this brilliant moment is instead of taking out his enemy when he had the chance, or instead of taking revenge for all the times the king Saul tried to have him killed, and nobody would have blamed him at this point, right? David takes the high road. David takes the high road. Which means what this story basically reveals to us almost a thousand years before Jesus ever shows up, is exactly what Jesus meant when he proclaimed this important yet difficult saying. Matthew 5, 38 through 41 says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Or love those that you get along with and hate those you don't get along with. That's kind of the norm. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So you may be children of your Father in heaven. Notice what it means to be a child of God here. It's to love and pray for your enemies. How many of you guys are really good at that? Mm-hmm. How many of you guys are really good at that given that we're in the middle of an election cycle? No, what? Nobody? What? What's? What? No. So what we find David doing here is even that, even though Saul has done all this stuff to him, is not hating his enemy by using this as an opportunity to take Saul out, but instead uses this opportunity to do the right thing by responding with love, not hate. And the reason why God not only calls David to do that in that moment, but, but calls us to do this every single day. Because the truth is, if you'll sit down and think about it, hatred and revenge only lead to more hatred and revenge. Hatred and revenge only lead to more hatred and revenge. And if you don't believe me, go out and spread a whole lot of hatred and revenge and see what you get in return. Or... And I hate getting political, but we're going to get political again because I think it's a thing. What happens as both sides continue to go back at one another? What happens? Does anybody ever get any nicer? Or does it seem to continue to go up and up and up and up and up? But what love does, what love does is not only does it transform our lives, but it transforms the lives of those who used to be our enemies. And it makes for a whole lot more peace. So what this story is teaching us today about what it means to be a follower of God, about what it means to give our lives to following Christ, is that we are the people who have been called to respond to our enemies, not with retaliation or revenge, which is easy and which is what everyone else does, but instead with love even when it's the hardest thing we will ever do. And all because that kind of love is what changes the world. There you go. So now, um, your assignment is this. Who's your enemy? 
Who's that person that when you think of them, all you want to do is punch them in the face? Any, anybody have someone like, is it just me that has someone that I want to punch in the face? Who's that person? You got, <laughs> I'm sorry. I asked that question and John is over here with his hand up. John's got someone he wants to punch in the face too. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was awesome. That just made my day, John. Great job, buddy. Um, so you've got that person in mind. We've, I think we've all got someone. Let's just be honest. We need to pray. God, we can't do this on our own. We've tried. We've done everything that we know, need, know to do. We need your help. And show us what it means to love that person. And then, then take that turmoil in our lives that we feel towards that person and help it be transformed. Help us to feel love towards that person, not just the hatred that consumes us. You guys think you can handle that this week? Maybe so. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Um, no doubt a great story that we just read through. Anytime you have a bathroom break in the middle of the Bible, uh, it is phenomenal. But what makes it even better than that is at the end of this story, we find a man who chose love over hate, who chose the high road instead of the easy way out, which then helps us to see what it is that, that you command and ask us to do every single day, to not be like everybody else, but to be the kind of people who work really hard at loving our enemies. So Lord, send us back out into the world to do the hardest thing some of us will ever do. We ask this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week. Thank you.